Reducted Files from Earth Observations, a good omens podfic, written by Sodium Aside and read by Trap. Summary A heavenly delivery shortly after their celebration at the Ritz leads to realizations that neither of them are as subtle as they thought they were. It all works out for the best. Aziraphale hadn't been entirely sure what his plans for his unexpected second existence would be after celebrating the lack of apocalypse with his dearest one, but it made sense that anything more dramatic would have to be shelved. Crowley's willpower was extraordinary, more than anyone Aziraphale had ever met. Unfortunately, like all beings, they both were in fact finite, and after dessert, Crowley was drinking a disconcerting amount of coffee. His face still wore its smile, and such a good one it was, but he was pale and a bit pinched around the eyes. When he yawned, to his own obvious surprise, Aziraphale decided to lean into the new boldness he had discovered within himself in recent days. Dear boy, you need sleep, but I admit that I would prefer to keep you close. Would you be averse to napping where I can keep guard over you? Oh, goodness! His boldness just ran out between one word and the next. Oh, that was not a good feeling. Uh, unless you would like to be alone, that's entirely understandable, Aziraphale finished weakly. No, you, with you. Crowley's voice was right on the edge of curtness, close enough to cut anyone but Aziraphale. He would never hurt Aziraphale. They stumbled more than they walked out from the Reds. The Bentley was of course back in Mayfair, and being out among humanity, breathing air and walking on his reincorporated feet, was doing wonders for Aziraphale. Crowley seemed too fatigued to care about literally anything other than Aziraphale's arm around his waist. By the time the bookshop welcomed them home, Crowley was wordless and tilting into him, toes dragging on the rocks. Installing Crowley into the bedroom upstairs was fairly easy. Crowley was approximately the same weight of three encyclopedias and was pliant under Xerophil's hands as he arranged them under the blankets, a simple miracle switching those fancy talks with a linen nightdress. It was all rather convenient, since Xerophil hadn't figured out how to explain to Crowley that the bedroom had only existed here with occasional updates to the mattress and linens, in the distant hope that perhaps one day the demon might make use of it. How jolly that it was finally fulfilling its purpose. Aziraphale tucked him in, those lovely eyes opening once to blink up at him in soft bewilderment, before Crowley's entire self went slack, and he appeared to fall into a depth of unconsciousness usually only achievable via medical coma.
Als Eva fiel in Dahlstimms auf, smiling down at Crowley's sleeping face for quite a few minutes, before turning to place a palm against the wallpaper beside the doorway. Keep him safe, won't you? I'll be just downstairs, checking that you're ship-shape, he whispered. The walls hummed to him, centuries-old timbers creaking softly. The window glass decided that it was frosted, actually, and the curtains blocked the light of the setting sun in a bar of shadow over Crowley's face, which was far more than Aziraphale would have thought to request of Bettenberg open-work lace. Aziraphale patted the wall gently and left the door open behind himself. Crowley slept for six days straight. The bookshop settled meaningfully at about half-past nine in the morning, and Aziraphale got tea started. By the time Crowley was able to sit up in bed, blurry and yawning, the angel was ready with his cuppa. Too sleepy to be prickly, Crowley made little grabby hands at both the cup and the angel, until Aziraphale sat beside him to sip his own tea. Crowley slurped and mumbled subvocal complaints that Aziraphale couldn't catch. The theme seemed to be a general dissatisfaction at being sapient. Aziraphale finished his own cup and rubbed that narrow back, feeling extremely daring. Amazingly, this was permitted, and even more so, Crowley leaned his... He leaned. He leaned his head. Leaned his head on Aziraphale's shoulder. His precious, perfect, beautiful head. Right there. Gosh! Well, this was an auspicious day. What an excellent reason to have helped save the world. Aziraphale got himself under control after a few seconds, but his initially involuntary response had probably blessed everyone on Greek Street with inordinate good luck. Aziraphale very slowly let his own posture shift incrementally, resting his cheek lightly on top of Crowley's pretty hair in response. Crowley didn't say a word, but the irritated grumbling had ceased, and he held his half-full cup warm in his hands without moving to drink. After Zeraphale had absorbed all the wonder he could currently manage without exploding, he tried to be practical. Good morning, dear. Shall I heat it up again, or shall we go get coffee? No, Crowley rasped in his sleep-rough voice. I think I'd really like coffee. If you gave it another chance. It took me three hundred years to learn how to brew tea correctly. I dread how long a new beverage might take to master. That's why you have me. It settled in the air around them, 
Crowley's smile entirely audible, and Azima filled out a happy sigh along with a workshop. Your first task of a new era, teaching an old angel how to make coffee. Truly a bold challenge akin to the labors of Heracles. <laughs> I'll keep the training wheels on for you. My machine at the flat does everything but answer the door and do your nails while you wait. We'll get into poor vas and cold brew later. So thou we headed to your flat then? Crowley made a long squeaking noise as if stress testing a rubber band. I thought maybe he trailed off feet visibly shifting under the quilts. Thought maybe I could just pop over and fetch it, water the plants, come back and install it here, you know, for easy access. It's sufficient, like... Aziraphil wiggled a little, and only barely didn't begin to dance, if only to prevent himself from sprilling the dregs of Crowley's breakfast tea. Crowley eventually noticed the pretty nightdress he was wearing, and gave Aziraphil a flat stare, and several minutes of silent treatment. Aziraphil left him to his beak and pottered off to start kneading up the kitchenette in preparation for Crowley's modern coffee contraption. It was clear that Crowley wasn't hugely bothered, because when he swayed into Aziraphil's view again to drop off his empty cup, he was in a fetching little skirt and extremely abbreviated top. He bumped Aziraphale with a sip, looking smug as anything, at Aziraphale's instantaneous blush, and left with a laugh. Crowley had been gone for less than two minutes, when there was a heavy series of knocks at the workshop door. Aziraphale tittered and responded in a rush, but he faltered when he was still in the central atrium. Crisp cream and grey suiting stood formally on the other side of a store, visible through the old glass. Heaven was here. With this timing they must have been watching and waiting for Crowley to leave. Aziraphil considered a dozen scenarios and closed his eyes in mute mourning for the future he had hoped for then slowly drudged the longest few steps of his life. He opened the door in a single movement. At least they weren't here when Crowley was within reach, and if Crowley was safe, that was all that mattered. The agent of heaven was immaculately dressed, as expected, and was holding a small glossy white suitcase in one hand, like they had been recently coached on how fingers worked. They were standing so straight it was possible that their vertebrae had been fused. I am Theokos, they recited solemnly. They didn't seem aggressive. 
they didn't seem to be expressing anything at all. I am the assistant of Pravoil, who is her scribe. I am here to remand custody of certain redacted documents to their source. Aziraphale blinked. Frankly, he had been expecting something more immediately dire. Oh, that is thorough of you. Do you need directions? Earth can be confusing to navigate. I have received directions both to this point in physical space-time and to give unto thee the material struck from the record of Earth observations. They concern events which did not occur, performed by entities who do not exist. Theokos held out their arm in a perfect horizontal line. After a moment, they rotated their wrists so that the briefcase could hang in relation to Earth's gravity. Aziraphale blinked again, then reached out to take the case. It was far denser than could be explained by the size of the item. The angel gave them a small nod of acknowledgement. Theokos finally blinked, then several times more, in response to a light breeze. Their pale face developed a green cast, as if disgusted by air movement and accompanying dust and pollen, but then their expression smoothed into neutrality once more. After another few seconds, they moved the hovering arm from its 90-degree angle to stand at parent rest. Do you acknowledge that you have received these reducted items, entity previously known as the Principality Aziraphale? He would not have recognized his own voice, except that it came from his own mouth. I am still the Principality Aziraphale, and will always be until her will dictates otherwise. Aziraphale cratted out. He had never gotten so angry so quickly in his entire existence. Theokos' eyes fell half shut, then opened again with a small glow centered in their pupils. Received information correct, they intoned. I will submit the correction to my supervisor and any remaining records will be updated accordingly, pending further reductions. As quickly as it had come, the rage strained out of Aziraphale, leaving him feeling years older and far more tired than before. He let out a sigh and gave an attempt at a smile to the obedient celestial administrator drone, still standing in her doorway. I acknowledge that I have received the parcel which you were sent to give to me, Theokos, Aziraphale replied quietly. I thank you for your diligence in this matter. Theokos stood for a moment longer, 
Then their eyes glowed once more. Affirmative. All glory to heaven. They turned around and walked deliberately with perfectly even steps before vanishing between one footfall and the next. Aziraphale was still standing in the open doorway, staring at the briefcase in his hand, when Crowley screeched up in the Bentley and practically leaped out of it before her wheels had stopped turning. What the heaven did I miss? He practically shrieked, sprinting with no care for other pedestrians until he was right next to Aziraphale. Just a delivery from heaven, dear boy, Aziraphale told him merrily. He couldn't seem to look away from the suitcase for even a few seconds. Perhaps it contained a curse? Some horrific celestial magic to wipe him and possibly the surrounding city from existence? I believe they had been waiting for you to leave. I can't sense anything untoward from it, but let's burn it. The angel who gave it to me said it contained reducted files. Knowledge is power to employ a trite phrase. Crowley hesitated, casting suspicious glances upward, then abruptly grabbing it from Aziraphale and turning around, so his body was between Aziraphale and the case. Aziraphale gasped, the ledgers clicked open audibly, and Crowley froze in place. Nothing else happened. Crowley's shoulders relaxed, and all his breath seemed to leave him in a single cast. I recognize some of what's in here, and I can't sense anything nasty either. Containment circle. Aziraphale nodded and pulled his demon inside before anything else could happen. He waved at the Bentley, her backseat laden with an enormous cardboard box, and she locked herself and flashed her lights at him sweetly. Crowley was already sketching something on the floor in chalk by the time that Aziraphale locked the bookshop door. He opened his mouth to protest the mess, but shut it again. Occult containment would be far better, just in case, and it wasn't as if Aziraphale could draw the sigils himself. Crowley worked quickly, the clever deer and set the unlatched case in the center before stepping out of the circle and making several motions with his hands. Unsettling green light flashed and pulsed, throbbing like a bruise, as Crowley scowled and made gesture after gesture. Pages rustled slightly, but otherwise there was no response. Aziraphale took over and muttered some words of his own, sending out searching little pulses, but the material was as mundane as anything that had been handled by angels could be. They looked at each other, shrugged, and Crowley broke the circle.
The case was fairly boring once they opened it and started rifling through the contents. It was mostly lists of Aziraphale's accomplishments and records, including mission reports, assessments and centennial personal development reports. Aziraphale set them aside to be archived elsewhere in his stores, just in case. One never knew. The real treasure had been placed on top, and Crowley had them spread out between them both. Earth observations had been busy, Aziraphale realized with retroactive horror. Eight photographs of himself and Crowley at several points during the past several hundred years, all incontrovertible proof of the interactions. Even one would have been enough to mark him for treason without doubt. Crowley placed a thin fingertip on one, tracing it delicately. It was from their first rendezvous at the Globe Theatre, so many years ago. The demon was silent, but his face coloured. Not my best choice of facial hair, he joked thinly. His fingertip was by Aziraphale's image, however. Aziraphale stared at it with the dawning mortification of a teenager discovering that their diary entries had been printed as front-page news in the Daily Mail. Was that really how he had been staring at Crowley all these years? He looked like a lovesick fool. The other pictures were no better. There he was, gazing besottedly at the Serpent of Eden, in black-and-white, glossy, high-definition, captured over and over again in various flavors of angelic pining. Crowley cleared his throat, and Aziraphale closed his eyes, waiting for his doom. I always did wear my heart on my sleeve. Didn't I, Angel? Crowley murmured. Aziraphale stared and made a noise with a fractured, phonetically challenged absurdity more typical of the demon in front of him. He got hold of himself and looked down at the images again. With just that small shift in perspective, abruptly everything was made clear. The small photographic Aziraphale was gazing longingly, yes. But there too was a secret demonic smile. Here was a black-clad figure staring at his companion like nothing else was worth his attention. There was a smirk that was softer for him than for anyone else on earth or elsewhere. Oh... So those were the faces they wore when they thought the other wasn't looking. The bookshop was quiet. As Iwafil had the sudden absurd notion that the entire world was waiting for what his delayed response was going to be. He swallowed and hoped he wasn't going to ruin his entire life. 
Perhaps in future it would be best if instead of your sleeve I kept your heart with me for protection. I'll keep it safe, I promise. A thin hand slipped into her sound. Crowley's other one still held one of the precious pictures. These voyeuristic images that could have meant their doom, marking the steps of a dance that had brought them through fear and fire, here at the beginning of all things. Aziraphale squeezed those chilly fingers and was very pleased with himself before realizing that no one was stopping him. Fuck it, he said without meaning to. Crowley squawked and shocked Clee, then again and louder, when Aziraphale hauled him entirely into her slab, wrapped his arms around him and squeezed. Crowley, he breathed fervently and held his beloved claws. Crowley tucked up his extraneous limbs and let Aziraphale cuddle him without even a performative grumble. It was almost lunchtime before Crowley's laughter broke the content silence. Can't believe you didn't notice me staring at you with bloody hearts in my eyes, Angel. You oblivious bird brain. Oh, is that what the glasses were meant to disguise? My mistake, Aziraphale snapped back. What excuse do you have? I'm practically glowing at you in an extremely literal sense. Bad eyesight, Crowley claimed firmly. Is that what we are claiming? No idea what you're claiming. Michael dips on bad eyesight. You're going to have to come up with some other reason why you didn't notice me wafting after you on the breeze like the ghost of love letters past. Oh, love letters, Aziraphale said dreamily. I can write you love letters and actually send them now. The implications of that seemed to hit Crowley like a cricket bat and he sacked into Aziraphale's arms like an untied rope. His sweet snake. They eventually had the pictures framed and hung them up in the bedroom that they shared in a gallery of growing hope and shared unseen longing. Aziraphale didn't have to bother with the mail, as it turned out, he just left his love letters on Crowley's pillow for him to find when he awoke, so that he would always know that Aziraphale loved him, even when he wasn't looking. The End